This is the sixth and final week of my sermon series called Peekaboo People. It's uh, been a fun series for me to study some of the lives of these people in the Bible who felt compelled for one reason or another uh, to try to hide. And today, as we wrap up this series, I want to flip the script a little bit and talk about all those times when it seems like God is hiding from us. There's an old story, maybe you've heard it, it's about some students in a Bible college. They were going through the cafeteria line one day, and right at the front of the line, there was a big bowl of oranges, and someone on the cafeteria staff had put a sign there that said, take only one, Jesus is watching. Well, at the other end of the line, there was a big platter of chocolate chip cookies, And so some wise guy had made his own little sign and put it there that said, take all you want, Jesus is at the other end of the line watching the oranges. (laughs) Well, that's a cute story, but it does raise an interesting question. Have you ever been in a situation where it felt like God must have been somewhere else Involved in some other endeavor because he sure wasn't with you helping you through your problem. Maybe it was a particularly frustrating time when you really needed his help. Maybe it was a time when you were carrying a heavy burden. Maybe it was a time when you were wrestling with an agonizing decision. Maybe it was a time when you were falling apart emotionally. Maybe it was a time when you felt all alone and there was no one else around to help you. In fact, maybe you're going through a time like that right now. If you are, I want you to know that you're not alone. A lot of people have had this experience. In fact, some of the greatest heroes of the Bible have had moments when they felt like God must have been somewhere else, that he must have been hiding. Abraham and Sarah, for example, I'm sure they wondered where God was as they waited year after year for God to fulfill his promise to give them a son. I have no doubt that Joseph wondered where God was the day his brothers sold him into slavery. David, I'm sure, wondered where God was when King Saul was chasing him all over the countryside trying to kill him. Elijah must have wondered where God was when Jezebel's assassins were hot on his heels. Even Jesus had some questions along this line. You may remember, as he was hanging on the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? It's not unusual for people, even great people of faith, great people of God. It's not unusual for them to feel like God is missing, that he must be somewhere hiding. But our faith and our trust in the Scriptures assures us that even when it seems like he's hiding, he isn't. Matthew 28, chapter chapter 28, verse 20, Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And in Hebrews 13, 5, he said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. We know he's not hiding. We know he is here, but sometimes it feels like he's hiding. Sometimes it feels like he's He's left. He must be somewhere else. And if you're experiencing that feeling today, then this message is especially for you. 
I want to suggest three simple things you can do that I believe will help you rediscover God's presence. Here's the first one. Start looking for God in the little things. Because God is so great, we sometimes have a tendency to believe that he's always going to be doing great things, amazing things, maybe even miraculous things. And when he doesn't, we think, well, where are you, Lord? Why aren't you doing something magnificent? You're a great and mighty God. Why aren't you doing something great and mighty? But the truth is, God is most often clearly seen in the little things of life. The things that most people overlook. Listen to this clipping I found. It was written by a young Christian mom. And it really captures the essence of what I'm trying to say. She writes, I have found God in the most unusual places. Why, just this morning I found him in my refrigerator. I had watched a news report about how some people in parts of the world were starving, and then I opened my refrigerator and found it stocked full of food. On another occasion, I found God in a beat-up old pickup truck. I had lost my keys in my car in a driving rainstorm. Helplessly, I looked around and saw this beat-up old truck approaching. An elderly man got out of it, did something to my door with an odd-looking tool, and then opened it for me with a flourish and a click of his cap. As I climbed in and thanked him, he simply smiled and said, God bless you. Not long ago, I found God in our city park. As I sat on a bench at lunchtime, I saw lovers strolling hand in hand, children laughing and playing in the fallen leaves, and a new mom cradling the tiniest little baby in her arms. It suddenly occurred to me that no matter where I looked at that moment, I could see love, and I knew God was in that place. And then the author adds this final statement. I have learned to stop looking for God in the heavens. I have learned to lower my gaze and look at the world around me. I have learned that God is everywhere, even in my refrigerator. And I love that. Because it is so true. We make a terrible mistake when we think that God can only be found in the heavens or in the majestic and amazing things that happen in this world. The more observant and the more thoughtful we are, the more we will understand that some of God's greatest work is done quietly and with very little fanfare. Think about Jesus' birth, for example. Maybe the greatest thing God ever did in this world was accomplished on a silent night in a quiet stable, far from the maddening crowd, with only a campfire and a twinkling star to mark the occasion. Even people who were close by, even a stone's throw away, had no clue what was happening because it was all done so quietly. And I believe that's more typical of God than they think. Listen to this clipping. I like this one, too. It says, A man whispered, God speaks. And a metal lark sang. But the man didn't notice. So the man yelled, God, speak to me. And thunder rolled across the sky. But the man was irritated at the thought that it might not be him. So the man looked around and said, God, let me see you. And a star shone brightly in the heavens. But the man never looked up. 
So the man shouted, God, show me a miracle. And just then the man got a text message telling him that his niece had had a baby, but the man was too frustrated by God's absence to think about it. So the man cried out in despair, Touch me, God, and let me know you're here. Whereupon God reached down and touched him. But the man brushed off the butterfly and walked away, a little angry that God would refuse to make his presence known. Some of the greatest things God does are done quietly, subtly, with no consequence. And that is why the Bible says, be still and know that I am God. God seems missing from your life. Start looking for him in the little things, the quiet things. Do you pray? A second simple thing you can do that will help you rediscover God's presence is to review and, if necessary, renew your relationship with him. One of the things that's um, interesting about being the preacher of the same church for a long time, in my case, three decades at least, is that eventually you start running into people around town who used to come to church here but no longer do. And some of those encounters can be quite interesting. Some of them can be a little awkward. Some of them not so much. Anyway, I ran into a person in town um, that used to attend this church, but now doesn't go anywhere. And this individual and I always had a great relationship. I got along great. I would consider us good friends, but we hadn't seen each other in a long time. And so when we met and ran into each other, we had a nice talk, a nice visit, um, um, you know, hugs, greeting each other, kind of catching up. And this person said something interesting. He said, isn't it weird how good friends lose touch with each other? Isn't it weird how good friends lose touch with each other? I want to tell you what I did not say to him, but I wanted to. By the way, this is a preacher's life. All the things you want to say to people, but you don't. So here's what I did not say to him that I wanted to say. No, it isn't weird that good friends lose touch with each other. Not when one of those friends disappears. I wanted to say to him, you quit coming to church. You took away the one point of contact that we had. No, it isn't weird that we would lose touch. It's the most natural thing in the world. When you remove a point of contact that you have with someone, Losing touch is what you would expect to happen. It's not weird. Sometimes 
people have several points of connection. Like, for example, you might work together. You might go to the same church together or the same school together. Or maybe you bowl in the same league together. And the more points of contact you have with a person, probably the closer you're going to feel to them. The fewer points of contact you have with someone, uh, the less close you're going to feel. So what if the distance you're feeling in your relationship with God is not the result of him running off and hiding, like it's what you think it feels like? What if the distance you're feeling in your relationship with God right now is the fact that you have eliminated some points of contact with him? Now, that fellow I just told you about who thought it was weird how good friends lose touch with each other, here's something else I wanted to say to him but didn't. Yeah, yeah, we've lost touch, but I'm not the one who moved. I'm still at the church, still standing at this pulpit every Sunday, still preaching the Word of God, still doing the things I've always done. You're the one who moved. And I wonder if God would say something like that to you. I wonder if you feel like God is far away. I wonder if God would say, hey, I'm not the one who moved. You are. You're the one who eliminated the points of contact that we had. And with that thought in mind, I want to share with you some questions that you can ask yourself that if you're honest, should help you evaluate your relationship with God and help you figure out if you're the one who moved. First of all, where does God currently come in on your list of priorities? And I say currently because we all know that our priorities can evolve and they can change. Sometimes they change for the better and sometimes they change for the worse. But where does God come in on your list of priorities? Do you build your life around God? Or do you just try to fit him into your life whenever it's easy and convenient? How consistent are you in your church attendance, in your giving to the Lord's work, in your service? Do you find that you're doing better in those areas than you used to or worse? When was the last time you actually cut something out of your life to make more room for God? When was the last time you opened up your Bible during the week for no other reason than just to sit down and read for a bit and see what God might have to say to you? Is there a sin in your life that needs to be dealt with? Maybe you've slipped into a bad habit, and that habit has now become a barrier between you and God. Now, these are the kinds of questions that a lot of people don't like to ask themselves for obvious reasons, but they can be very revealing. They can indicate whether we're cultivating and maintaining those points of connection with God or not. And if you are not cultivating and maintaining numerous points of connection with God, then it's not a surprise that you feel like you've lost some points of connection. When you open up those points of connection again and God has an opportunity to start working in your life, I can promise you he is not going to seem far away at all. You know, James 4.8 says, 
come close to God, and God will come close to you. So who knew? You? I think the answer might be yes. Because God does know. Here's one more um, simple thing you can do that will help you rediscover God's presence. Be patient. I'm glad we live near Disney World this morning. I'm not always glad. When I'm out there in that traffic, I'm not glad. But this morning I'm glad because I've got an illustration here, and it's going to be better because we all know Disney World. You've been there probably multiple times. There is literally nothing about that place that is designed to make you unhappy unless it's paying 15 bucks for a hamburger and a Coke. Other than that, everything else is designed to make you happy, uh, the happiest place on earth, right? That's how they advertise it. Here's the thing. You do not expect your real life, your everyday life, to be like a day at Disney. You do not expect your real life to be all rainbows and lollipops and fairy tales and pixie dust. You have a standard for a day at Disney, and you have another standard for a day in your real life. One is you know, a fantasy world, and the other is the real world. And what's the primary difference between a fantasy world and the real world? Well, in the fantasy world, it's all fun all the time. In the real world, it's only fun part of the time. And part of the time, it's not fun. For example, in the real world, there are good times and bad times. In the real world, there are successes and failures. In the real world, there are gains, but there are also losses. In the real world, there are advances, but there are also retreats. In the real world, there is peace, but then at times there is turmoil. In the real world, there is sunshine, but then there are also storms. Friends, we don't live in Disneyland. We live near Disneyland. We live close to Disneyland, but we do not live in Disneyland or Disney World, which means there's going to be an ebb and flow to life. There are going to be good days. There are going to be bad days. It's like a marriage. If you've ever been married, you know that some days are better than others. Some days you laugh and have fun together, and everything goes well, and you're doing something you enjoy, and it's just a great day, and, and there's just joy everywhere you turn. Other days, not so much. Other days, there's stress. Maybe one person or the other doesn't feel good. Maybe one person or the other is in a bad mood. And, and you know, it's, it's just not the same feeling of joy in the air. So what do you do when you're married and you run into one of those days? Well, if you're smart, you do nothing. You know this is true, right? You don't do anything if you have a bad day in your marriage. Because you understand. It's the real world. There are going to be some hard days. The best thing you can do when you have kind of a testy day in your marriage, just do nothing, just be patient, just keep being a good husband or a good wife, and believe that tomorrow's going to be a better day. And I think this really applies to those moments in life when God seems distant. Look at this passage, Psalm 13, um, verses 1 and 2. David says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Look at this line. 
How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle in my soul with sorrow in my heart each day? How long will my enemy dominate me? See, he's going through exactly the kind of time that we're talking about today. God seems missing. He seems like he must be somewhere else helping somebody else. David's going, man, how long are you going to be gone? And so what's his plan to deal with this? Look at verses 5 and 6. He says, but I have trusted in your loving devotion. My heart will rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. Let me paraphrase that for you. He's saying, I'm just going to hang in there. I'm just going to be positive. I'm going to keep doing what I know to do. I'm going to keep honoring God because God has been faithful to me in the past, and I know he will in the future, even if I'm having a bad day today. America's second oldest college is the College of William and Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia. It was founded in 1693. During the Civil War, that college closed for obvious reasons. And when it closed, it was believed by school administrators and leaders that it would never open again. They felt like that was the end of their college. But every day throughout the years of the Civil War, every single day, an old custodian went to the bell tower of that school, which was deserted, and rang the bell. Every day for the duration of the Civil War, he walked to that bell tower and rang the bell. And then one day, when he walked to the bell tower and rang the bell, he rang it to signal the reopening of that college. And that college is still open to this day. And I would say this to you. If you find yourself in a difficult period where God seems to be hiding or at least seems far away, remember, you don't live in Disney. You live in the real world. And the best thing you can do is just keep ringing that bell of faithfulness every single day until that difficult period you're in passes because it will. To wrap this up, I want to share some words that were written by Barbara Brown Taylor. She says, my husband, Edward, is devoted to hawks, and especially to the golden eagles that are returning to our part of Georgia. Driving down the highway with him can be a test of nerves as he cranes over the steering wheel to peer at the wing feathers of a particularly large bird. Is it an eagle or just a turkey vulture? He has to know even if it means weaving down the road for a while or even running off of it from time to time. My view is a bit different. Keep your eyes on the road, I yell at him. Who cares what kind of bird it is? I'll buy you a bird book. I'll even buy you a bird. Just watch where you're going. A couple of summers ago, we spent two months apart, and I thought I'd get a break from the birds. Instead, 
I began to see the nebula moving through the air, spiraling in rising thermals, hunkered down in the tops of trees, seeing them, really seeing them for the first time in my life. I understood that I was not seeing them with my own eyes, but with Edward's eyes. He was not there, so I was seeing them for him. He was absent, or was he? I realized he was present to me. As you leave here today, after all this talk about God's presence, understand that if you're a Christian, you carry God's presence with you. And especially when you go about doing the things that Jesus would do. And so everywhere you go this week, every person you encounter, no matter where it is, understand that you, as a Christian, as an ambassador of Christ, as a saved person who carries the Holy Spirit with you, understand that you can bring the presence of God into other people's lives. People you may meet who are wondering where in the world God is, you can bring God into their lives. And I hope you will make it your goal this week to do that. And if you do, if you understand that you have that ability and you start blessing people through the Spirit of God and just by, by being Jesus to them, I promise you, God will soon show his face. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to lift up a special prayer today for anyone in this room who might be feeling disconnected from you who might be feeling that you are off somewhere hiding. Lord, help us to be honest with ourselves as we try to determine if maybe we are the reason why that distance seems so great. And if the problem is on our end, give us the desire to do what needs to be done to fix it. Above all, Lord, help us to hang in there and be faithful in hard days like this, believing that what you said is true, that you will never abandon or forsake us. And I pray these things in Jesus' name.